Hello and welcome everyone to Game Masters, a weekly show that airs live every Thursday afternoon on Hyper RPG's Twitch channel. I'll be sitting down with Dungeon Masters, Game Masters, Story Crafters, Keepers, Guides, Narrators, Lore Masters, Referees, Moderators, and Hollyhock Gods to talk about what it takes to lead a group through a story, what brought them to the table, and so much more. Joining me today is Kelly Nugent. She's GM'd on HyperRPG, she's a host at El Rey Nation, and Teen Creeps podcast comes out every single week. She's been featured on games at Seeming Throw as well as here at HyperRPG, and currently she's one of our ghosts on Post Ghost, a live improvisational reality show from the ghost perspective. We talk about all sorts of fun stuff in this quick little interview, so I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me at the table. Thank Kelly. you for having me. Kelly Nugent? Yeah. Have you never said my last name before? I've always said your last name. You, you've always said it right. Why are you, why are you pretending <laughs> right now that you don't know how to say Nugent? it? Nugent? Nugent? <laughs> uh, no, I've always known how to you've say it. You've always known. Uh, welcome to Game Masters. Uh, we're going to talk about storytelling today. Yay. And at the end of the show, we'll take some questions from our live audience over on Twitch. I know I asked a couple questions over on Twitter, and we'll see what people uh, had to say there. There were only there were only a couple. Some of them were like inside jokes that I didn't get, so we probably won't do those. Mm. Was one from Hector Navarro? Yeah. Uh, I yeah. that guy. We're in a feud. That guy. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, you're currently hosting over at El Rey Nation with yes. Hector. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. How's best. that been? It's been great. It's really fun. Um, yeah. Uh, it's really cool. I really love my castmates. Um, it's also kind of forced me to, uh, because we have we shoot so many episodes a week, mm. I um, and we talk about so many different things. It's kind of forced me to uh, consume a lot of media really, really quickly. That like I had wow. always kind of considered my blind spots, and so like my uh, if you look at like how much I've read of comics now versus like a mere six months ago, it's crazy. So it's you're having really to different. cram for those yeah. and just ingest media all the time all the constantly, time constantly all the time i don't think people realize that when it comes to uh people who put themselves in front of a camera to talk about these mm-hmm. things they think that oh you know it must be nice you just get to talk about things you like and it's like well you still have a job you still have yeah. to like this is just extra hours that yeah. you have to work to do that research it's yeah. a ton of extra work it's a ton of extra work and then also it's kind of um humbling and i think um it's really, it, it kind of teaches you a lesson that I think ostensibly you should learn um, from other creative endeavors too, is that it's always okay to say like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not be the expert on everything because it's impossible. You can't. And then so. Unless you're Hector Navarro. Unless you're, you know what? No, you know what though? He's not. I, I know some things that he doesn't know. And I was like, you're the Kelly of this episode this week. Ooh, that's <laughs> great. Um, but like, uh, you know, like it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. And, and ask questions because like. I, I don't know. It's it's you can tell when someone's faking it. Yes, and it's very embarrassing to watch. Yes, I think you can, especially with live content. We do that so much here at Hyper RPG. I, I think it's really hard to fake what you know when you're live. You know, you can't yeah. can't really cut around it. You know, yeah. you can see you say something, but then also the way you look after you say it. You yeah. know, when you're kind of like, wait, uh, yeah, don't yeah. call me out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, you've been working at LA Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've done a lot of stuff for us in the past, but a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know you're also, you know, a performer and a writer. Mm-hmm. And I consider you a storyteller. Oh, thank and you. And that's, that's why I wanted you to come on today. Yeah. And talk about stories with me and what it means yeah. to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. What kind of stories interest you the most? 
Um, I feel like the answer that I'm going to give sounds like I'm trying to cheat it, but it, like a story that gives you, um, has that like non, has a feeling to it. There's like an atmosphere to the story. Um, and I also really like stories that focus on characters. Um, I like uh, stories that, because, okay, no matter where you are, no matter what kind of genre you're telling, people are still going to care about the same things that they've always cared about. Mm-hmm. They're always going to um, be afraid of being left out. They're always going to want connection. They're always going to, I mean, it, it's, it's everything that you might feel in your banal life still happens in wherever it might be. So you could be shooting um, uh, giant spiders with a crossbow, but you could still be thinking about how you might get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff still happens. And so I like stories that, um, and I think in, in, in comedy specifically, I like stories that, that focus on that because then there's that juxtaposition of kind of like, we're in this fantastical world, but these people still care about the things that all of us care about here right. on my couch. Um, and I also like, I don't know, I like scary stuff. Everything I do ends up being horror. I like, I try, uh, you, if you guys watched roguelike, no matter what genre we rolled, it always ended up being like the scary version of that. And I think that's just, why do you think that is? Um, I really, I'm really, um, I don't know. I, I think I, in my normal life, I'm a very, um, I, I get very anxious about things. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when I'm telling a story and it's like very horrifying, um, uh, you feel like you can kind of control something that um, you would never have a chance to control in your real life. Um, so you're not necessarily as someone who is a thrill seeker in real life that wants to take on those fears, but you enjoy exploring them through storytelling. Through storytelling. I mean, there's certain things that I am like kind of fearless with. If it, com- if it has to do with animals, I'm like, stupidly brave um or uh, example like like sticking your hand inside an alligator's mouth kind of thing literally an alligator situation so we went to okay. um i was in jamaica with my family this was years ago and we were doing like a uh crocodile um tour thing mm-hmm. and uh the tour guide was like hey um if you guys want you can like jump in the water like the crocodiles won't eat you they only eat raw chicken and I was about to jump in. And my mom was like, absolutely. I think I was probably, how old was I? Probably like 19 at the time. So it was a combination of me being, thinking I was invincible at 19. But okay. also like something I would probably do today. Okay. <laughs> so like things like that or like. The southern boy in me is like, you don't respect the animal. No, I know. And then that's like going to be my downfall. Right. Um, And then like things, you know, with like hiking or like, um, you know, uh um bouldering and so stuff like, like i'm not lions? scared ah, yeah. i could take one of those yeah. on i'll go by myself through these mountains <laughs> yeah i used i used to go on like uh trail runs by myself a lot when that's I was, a horror story it's very in and bad of itself. very bad don't yeah. i don't suggest it now i would never do it but you know when that being said people scare me a lot more than animals do yeah. If I'm alone in a park at nine, I'm more afraid of humans than I am of... Good God. Can you imagine you're just sitting in a park by yourself and there's just like a person standing? Like, I would be like, get away from me. I'm leaving. But mm-hmm. if it was like, I don't know, a coyote, I wouldn't approach it, but I'd be like, oh, tight. Right. But what if it was a mountain lion? Oh, shoot. I mean, I'd do that thing where you make your jacket all big and yell at it and throw rocks at it. 
<laughs> the thing about mountain lions, though, is you wouldn't see it. No, no. You just wouldn't know about it. Mm-mm. So you like horror stories. You like exploring that world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you write things like that? Yeah. Um, I have been working on some projects that I can't really get into, but um, that I really like the idea of, uh, like, horror that kind of exists in a, uh, like, um, over the garden wall, that type of thing of like this kind of fantastical, um, almost like dreamlike. I like a lot of like very dreamy, um, horror stuff. And so I'm working on a project right now that is like that. And then also like exploring themes of feminism and like, um, you know, uh, living in the fear of patriarchy, but feeling safe or like doing something scary and trying to be free. Um, essentially. Awesome. What do you like about writing? Like what excites you about writing? I don't think I've got to talk to you too much about this. I know our audience mm-hmm. hasn't necessarily got to talk to you too much about this because it's such a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is it that excites you about writing? Um, I, I really like, um, so the thing that I, that I've always enjoyed about consuming content, I think is the, Thing that I try to strive to provide to somebody that's taking in the content that I'm creating. Um, I like, um, you know, intense imagery, feeling like I'm somewhere and, 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 and feeling like I'm being moved by not necessarily something that's very overt, like a character saying something or doing something, but just like the entirety of the piece. And so I think like when I'm creating, I'm creating that for myself as I'm writing. And my hope is that I share that with somebody else. And it is not necessarily to, I, I try to like, you know, do some kind of message and things that I write, but um, they're not always, you know, these grandiose like stories. They're not all allegories. It might just be something like the feeling that you get, you know, when you find out that you're uh, like small things, like the, like, uh, the feeling that you get when you find out that your um, mother sold your childhood home that grew up that you grew up at and you could have bought it but you didn't Mm. and then it was destroyed and that kind of feeling that feeling of like regret and like all of those mm, themes I think um that can be present pretty much anywhere and it's just a a question of finding them and bringing them out and Mm -hmm. kind of having someone feel them and now I can't stop thinking about that and it's like oh that's such an adult fear it actually really did happen which I wrote a a short story about it it was literally my um grandmother uh sold the house that my grandfather had built and it was like this um like 40 acre property in montana um and it had like homestead house on it it was like and it had all this old stuff that had been built and my dad could have bought it and didn't and um i had to sit with that yeah well and then the next time we went out there my grandma was like well the guy that bought it burned it all down oh my gosh and he was just like and, and, and also, like, they had that classic, like, Midwestern passive aggressiveness about mm-hmm. it. So it was very, like, oh, okay, well, it's like, oh, well, you could have bought it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I could have. And then just silence. And, like, all you hear is, like, the clinking of the glass in their iced teacups. And you're just like, man, this is bleak. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. Like, I don't know. I love, I, I love exploring, like, very bleak themes. Um, but I think it's because we all feel them all the time. Do you consider that a place that you draw a lot of inspiration from? You know, when you're crafting these worlds, you know, where does that inspiration come from? For your stories, whether you're game mastering or writing, 
is it those little moments or you know are there other places you like to draw from as well um it can be anything from like um and, and I think this is kind of where improv comes in helpful because you kind of one of the core tenets of improv is if this is true then what else is true um and so sometimes it'll be just from like an interpersonal reaction that I experience or that I observe and then you kind of build around that if these people are saying this or if these people are doing this then what else can we infer about their lives because then that way you can make sure that everybody is not just somebody saying something, but there's somebody that is saying something for a reason. And that reason is human. Um, and that's kind of like, that's kind of how you make sure everybody is a character, a full person. Um, and also, I mean, I mean that, or just like seriously, like sometimes it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling that I get if I'm like walking, um, if I'm walking by a, uh, I don't know, just a building that strikes me. I will think about like what has happened in that building. What, what could happen there? What could I imagine happening there? And if that's true, then what's true about this town? And what's true about these people that live there? Kind of thing. I used to play this game when I was younger. Uh, growing up in the Midwest, we had to drive everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I would often be sitting next to a window in the middle of a minivan. I used to play this game with myself of every time we would pass a car, I would try to imagine what I see from that person's perspective mm -hmm. through their eyes at their steering wheel mm -hmm. and then look to the right and see who's in the car with them and mm -hmm. then start to build a story yes. of every single person in that car and imagine their whole life story all within that quick moment that you kind of drive past them. Okay. Um, that is making me think of, there's this book, um, Haunting of Hill House, obviously, is oh, very yeah. famous yeah, by yeah. Shirley Jackson. If you read it, though... It is one of my favorite books. It's very different than the show. Um, it's a lot sadder, I think, in a different way. But there's a beginning. All, all of her books are so, so sad. So sad. We've always lived They're in the castle. So sad. Um, that one's one of my favorites. It's her last book she wrote before she died. Yeah. Um, but there's this beginning part, and it's very similar to what you said, of uh, this uh, the the main character, who is a very sad character, is driving. She's she's lived her whole life having uh, raised her mother, and then now that her mother, or not uh, taking care of her ailing mother, now that her mother has passed, she's like, I'm going to live on my own. I'm going to go to this house and like do something for this professor and it's going to be great and this is going to be my new life. And as she's driving, um, she sees like a grove of trees or she sees these like marble lions and the way that Shirley Jackson describes her imagining an entire life. She, it pages this entire life of like she lives in this house and she cleans these marble lions and everybody in the town is so proud of her and her lions and then like that that life is over and she's back in her life and she's moving on. And that I think, and it sounds so cheesy, but like truly the power of your imagination, if you just let it go, that's how you can build out a world. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she's one of my huge inspirations. I love her a lot. That's good to know. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers as well. I, I absolutely love, I put on the audio book for, um, we lived in a castle like all the time and yeah. fall asleep to it. I love the descriptives. I love yeah. the way that she She's builds a beautiful world. writer. I just watched the movie of that. I haven't yet. It's pretty good. I think it could have leaned harder into um, comedy, but it, mm -hmm. it, I, the performance is really good. I liked it. As a creator, what other forms of creation do you participate in? Uh, you know, what, um, are, what are all the different ways that you like to express yourself creatively? Um, I like to write... Um, well, I, I like to write, uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is a narrative horror podcast, um, which is like 
that I'm writing it. Um, I also like to write um, just like short stories to myself where that way I can like kind of keep track of things like, you know, little ideas that I have. Um, I also like to write TV scripts. Um, I haven't sold anything or like spec scripts. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I just actually finished a pilot that I'm shopping right now. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I like doing, um, I like, and again, all of those things that I listed are all like horror. Um, just cause I think, I mean, and they're not like slasher horror or like, you know, they're, they're all like a variety of horror. Horror is a huge genre. Um, uh, and I love, honestly, I love, um, uh, improv, which has, I think helped me feel good about, you know, uh, GMing for the first time, which I did here. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's like a really cool way to tell stories. I love collaborative storytelling. I like that moment that you like look into your scene partner's eyes and you're like, we are creating something here and it will be gone after this. But like, we're doing it and we're doing it together. And I'm so excited about where you're going to take me. Cause I, I don't know. I think that's the cool, one of the coolest parts of creating. Have you done outside of GMing much with improv? That is that kind of narrative storytelling in an improv format. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I used to be on, I was on two different house teams and we did like a couple different forms. Um, and sometimes, it, and it was always long form improv. Um, and if you come out to a show out here, you most likely see the Herald, which is a very popular form, but it isn't really like, it's not like a play. Mm -hmm. It's not like, um, a movie, but there are, I have improvised plays before I have improvised, uh, a movie before I've done that form before. And it's cool. Um, because then you can kind of play with the different ways you tell your story, but it is one arcing story, usually with like a B plot or a C plot too. Um, but yeah, I, I have done that kind of thing too. Have you done improv horror? You know what? No, I don't think we ever, I don't think we ever, cause usually it would be the audience would give a genre. So we never really got horror. Because we didn't do it, we didn't do that um, form for very long. Because we were, the whole thing with the theater that I was at was that you would do different forms. Mm. Um, so, but we never did that. It would have been really cool, though. I'm still trying to figure out ways to do it. I feel like we've tried to get close with Coloc, uh, but it's still kind of beholden to the system at times. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I'd love to explore this idea of being able to take improv and see if you can put that in a horror format. And not even go for the joke and just go for that. Yeah, just, yeah. Well, I, there's, um, there's also like, uh, I know a couple teams do it of just like serious, like not for jokes. I know that, um, that they'll do like just, and that's the thing. It's like the, there will be moments, I'm sure, that like people will laugh because it's natural. Um, other than I think horror at times can be really funny, especially if it's uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. I just saw Parasite. Oh, which, oh. I watched it for the second time last night. 10 out of 10. Yeah. 12 out of 10. Amazing. Oh, dream of dreams. Wonderful, wonderful film. I watched it in theaters, and then I watched it with Malika upstairs last night. I can't mm -hmm. say how because the movie's not out yet. Oh, just not. <laughs> but I uh, did watch it upstairs yeah. last night with Malika. I, I think it's my movie of the year so far. For sure. I loved it. And it was so funny because I, the people I went to the movie with, I don't, they did not like it. So the movie ends and they're like, that was a movie. And I was like, 
oh that was maybe my favorite movie of the year <laughs> I kinda, <laughs> they I, were like it was dark i was like it's called parasite <laughs> i don't know what you expected oh man and i don't even consider i watch a lot of horror so i don't really consider it horror it's not horror horror but it's definitely a dark view of class systems oh yeah it's completely nihilistic family it's oh. so sad i love it i love it i love it see it see it if you haven't seen it see it see it it's very good yeah um, I, I know I'd mentioned other places here, but, you know, I, I went and I saw Parasite last Thursday mm-hmm. at the Arclight, and then I went and saw Joker on Friday. I did not af- see Joker. After I got out of the Joker, I was just like, I just want to watch Parasite again. Yeah. I'm not even really thinking about the Joker. Like That's the thing. The Joker Parasite felt so standard me. to me because I've seen so many Scorsese movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many of these movies that are about a guy. Mm-hmm. The systems failed him. Mm-hmm. How does he respond? Uh, seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Parasite surprised me so much. and I couldn't I stop loved, thinking about it. Seriously, I the, the thing I loved about that movie and I think um, – that I strive to do with my storytelling too is like as a viewer, I did not know what, what, like I truly was like, I don't know where this is going to go. And it moves. It moves. And the thing I also really loved about that. And I think the way that they blended comedy, drama and horror together so well is that there would be moments where you, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but like where you'd start out laughing and then you'd be like, man, this is sad. Like midway through, the moment and then you would end in like a very sad place mm-hmm. which i thought was really cool i dig really it. admiral admirable so let's move over to talking a little bit about gaming yes. and how these worlds kind of collide obviously you enjoy gaming you've, you've gamed here quite a bit uh are there any systems and tabletop rpgs that you've been able to explore or that you would like to explore hmm 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 hmm, hmm. um you know, I have never DM'd a game of D&D. And I think that would be a challenge for me because it is a pretty structure-heavy system that I think my instinct is always like, eh, whatever, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's about the story first. And I think that would be a thing, a, a, an interesting challenge for me um, because... I don't know. My instinct is always just to be like, yeah, but like the store, like I don't care about grinding. And I know that like this all depends on like the DM, of course. Yeah. No judgment here. Yeah. I've never GM D&D. Yeah. And yeah. I've GMed a lot of stuff, but never that. I just yeah. don't think it fits for me. Yeah. And I, I, that's the thing. I think if, if, if it's just like for, um, for me having fun, <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't choose it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would be a cool challenge to try, um, but I don't know how much fun I'd have doing it just because I, I prefer to just, I don't know. As a player uh, outside of GMing, have you got to experience many of the systems that have come out that are horror focused? I know we had you on Tin Candles. Yeah. So that's one that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, in that direction. I think there's a lot of cool opportunities for horror within that yeah. world, uh, especially some of the indie systems that come out. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, there's Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit more country, but not nearly as crunchy mm-hmm, as mm-hmm, D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, but have you got to play any uh, games and or systems, you know, outside of uh, here that you've been like, oh, that was really great. I really enjoyed that. Mm, for horror, no. Or in general, just in general. Um, I always like Lasers and Feelings because it's an easy system that you can 
<laughs> still kind of folk, like not worry too much about the semantics of it and, and, and just kind of be like, okay, let's just do the story. Um, but yeah, no, I, I haven't really, uh, played too many different ones other than what I've played here. Okay. When you're playing a game, mm-hmm. what do you feel like your responsibility is at the table? Um, to make everybody else look good. Okay. I think, um, kind of, um, I don't know. I, I kind of, I I kind of detest when a person's like, I'm going to be the star as a player. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Um, and I think that you should be monitoring kind of like what each player's thing is kind of in a, um, like in a character game sense where you're like, okay, what, like, what could make things the absolute worst or the absolute best for this character and just keep giving that to that person, either in my um, interactions with them or things that I'm doing in the game. Um, but then also just to be in character, truly, like just be in character and then think in character. So then that way, you're not even really thinking as you, like you're somewhere down here and then the character that you are is like here and then so everything that happens is just filtered through how that character thinks. And then so you react how that character would. And I know that that seems like very, like why even break down something that's so simple? But like it is, a lot of people struggle with with, with fully being in character. Um, oh my God. You don't have to respond I'd, to Hector I will Navarro absolutely not chat. respond to Hector You don't Navarro have to respond to him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, you know, know when it's your time to, to do stuff and to shine, but like, here, let me help you. I, I have uh, special tools here uh, Stop. That, I, that I can help you so you don't have to see those comments. Don't, in the chat. Don't, don't. You did not. You did. <laughs> His fury is only going to keep growing. <laughs> he has no power. here. No. Oh my God. That's funny. Uh, how do you feel about going on adventures and worlds that are based off real life cultures and societies? Hmm. Um, I think that can be tricky. I think you have to do your research. Um, I think that if you just, if you are kind of lazy and you just go off of what you think is real in that culture, you're going to come off like a bigot and um, it, it can be really tricky. It's like, I mean, it's as if you are making a movie about that. You need to do your research. Otherwise, you're like um, whatever that guy's name is in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I don't know. I think you kind of have to... Honestly, I think... um, If it's done with respect, it's fine. Um, and I think you maybe need to like talk to people from that culture and like have their input on it. So that way, you know, it's like accurate. How do you, in your mind, imagine, uh, going along, you know, I know a lot of systems, Mm -hmm. even, even Mm -hmm. games, uh, even board games, you know, often are depicting, uh, other cultures or places that Mm -hmm. exist in real life. Yes. And you're kind of a layer on top of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do you, do you think that's okay? Do you, do you think it's okay to explore those things or do you even have an interest in it? You know, from a personal standpoint, do you have much interest in exploring that or would you prefer to explore something else? 
Um, personally, it's not for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really want to portray a character or if I were GMing, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there are so many stories in the world. Why is it me that has to tell a story of somebody that's not, you know what I mean? That, 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 that I don't identify with in any way whatsoever. Granted, what's strange is that like, I don't really have, I guess this just comes down to like, who what roles are available like I'm thinking in the greater Hollywood sense what roles are available for people available for people because I usually don't have trouble playing like a white man in something because it's not that I'd be making fun of it and it's not punching up necessarily but like I I don't for instance as a GM uh, often you're put in situations where you have to play an NPC character. Yeah. You're more likely to feel comfortable playing a white male NPC character, mm-hmm. you're saying, than an NPC from a place or a culture that's like a minority representation. Or yeah, are they marginalized, mm-hmm. basically? And like, I don't know. I, I, I would try and do it in a very respectful way. And like, obviously before, here's the thing. You're the GM. It's your game. So like, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You, you you okay sure right you look in the rule book and there's like like character builds of a certain type you don't have to use those mm-hmm. I don't know I I'm, I'm just like just give yourself some more credit and create something that's just I don't know I feel like why not just use the opportunity to make something that's more interesting to you rather than be I, I don't know I I yeah Okay, let's move on to what life lessons you think we can learn from these games that we play. Um, As a, which is an interesting one because the games we usually put you on are filled with all sorts of crazy. So I, I don't know. know how many life lessons you might get out of that. Very often a villain. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that you sh- it, it teaches you um, to not be precious with your ideas. Um because guess what? A lot of times things that you plan either as a player or as a GM um, don't happen. And I and, and, and kind of it teaches you almost to like believe in yourself that like other ideas will happen. Other things will happen. Um, so not to kind of um, and, and also just how to be a team player and how to respect other people. And that like you will all shine if you all shine. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um and honestly, I think if you do it the right way, not not everybody does, but if you do it the right way, it teaches you to be less selfish um, because then your personal agendas are not, like your personal storytelling agendas are not um, overtaking something that everybody's trying to do together. And it kind of teaches you like to communicate too, right? Because then you're kind of like, if you're starting to do something and you can like tell that people are into this idea, then like, you know, to go forward with it. Um, so it just, I think it really helps with interpersonal communication too. Do you think it's valuable for a writer to have these kinds of experiences, whether it's improv or sitting at a table, uh, playing at a tabletop RPG to, to be in these group environments where you're learning those lessons? Yeah. Yeah. Because you will always get notes and you have to be okay getting those notes. 
um, whether it's from an audience or from an executive or from a room that you're staffed on or um, just anything, um, a producer, like you need to know like where's the line, right? Like where's the line for you that you're like, okay, and let's say you're writing something by yourself even, right? So like going from like doing a group thing, how can that help you as a single writer? I think, um, so like for example, let's say um, like I just wrote a pilot and I did a table read for it and people had questions. I think in like doing this kind of stuff or doing improv, it taught me like when people were like, oh, I have this question. I wasn't just like, well, you're an idiot. And that's not what I was trying to do. The thing is, the it question was there. It would have been way. great. Um, but like, you know, the, the, the thing that you learn from it is to be like, oh, well, that question still exists. So whether or not you don't like that, the, that that person had a question, someone taking in your content had that question. And so you can do something to address the question. And now let's say they're like, oh, um, I, uh, I didn't understand this. So I thought it was this. Well, you don't have to get mad and be like, well, it wasn't that. You can just be like, okay, how can I adjust what I wrote to make it so that no one ever even thinks it's that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of teaches you, I don't know, to, um, learn how to self edit and self direct. Can you imagine ever having our president as a player? If you were Absolutely not. Banned from my table. Terrible. Absolutely awful. Terrible clinical narcissist oh my not gosh. even smart enough to be a narcissist i can't even no i cannot imagine absolutely not what have you learned from other game masters by playing at their table or watching or listening to their shows you know when you've been on other people's shows mm -hmm. what have you learned from their styles um well something that i've actually uh learned from you um you are very in tune with your players and I can see you listening, which actually you don't always see with um, with GMs. A lot of times you'll see them like go into another world while they're planning their other thing while players are doing something. And you can tell that they're not listening to what's happening. So then when they decide what to do next, it's like, well, what about all the stuff that just happened? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know. I just think that kind of like engagement of like knowing that you are telling a story but that those people are, are 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 helping you do it and kind of i mean and this is from almost any gm that you'll see here but uh like learning that you might have this whole great plan and um your players don't want you to do that plan because they have other ideas and to be okay with that um and then to be like oh wow we discovered this other thing that was really cool um i don't know i think that's what i've learned to your credit uh I absolutely love having you at the table as a performer mm. um, because I feel like similarly, you as a performer are very good at doing that. And I feel a level of comfortability when you're there mm. because I know you're listening and you're evaluating the room and you're adding your own expertise onto that situation mm. to elevate everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. And as a GM, that is... Uh, the abs my absolute favorite mm -hmm. thing um, to know that there's just a situation where mm -hmm. there's somebody that's going to be thinking about the whole table and mm -hmm. the whole story mm. and maybe not what's best for the character, mm -hmm. but oh, so good for the story. Yeah. Well, thank um, you. I think, well, and, and that's kind of like um, um, in my acting, um, I like Meisner a lot. And that's like the thing where you, your performance will change depending on like the words don't matter. Right. So like, 
the words are just coming out and then the emotion that's happening is in response to the person that you're, um, that you're, uh, in a scene with, I think that like in, in a scene at a, um, at a table, it's way better, right? To see people reacting in the moment and making a decision based off of what they've just heard rather than, mm, okay, I, you stop talking now and there's a break in silence. So I want to do my thing that I've been planning from the very beginning, mm-hmm. which is not as a player, you shouldn't have things that you were planning to do from the very beginning. Um, I think you should be engaged and connected with your scene partners, which are your fellow players and your GM. Um, and your your performance should not have been the same if other people were in those seats, if that makes sense. Sorry, Hector showed his face again. Oh, my God. No, poor Hector. He's just, like, breaking his computer. No, he would never. No, he would never. He would never. He'd be like... Of all the trolls Hector has to deal with on the internet, I, I am the least harmful. <laughs> Do you prefer being a game master or a player? Um, hmm. I think, uh, like, honestly, selfishly, a player. Um, because I that way I can commit fully to a character and just think as one character the whole time. And I think that that um, makes it simpler in my mind. Um, to create the best finished product. Um, but it is really close because I do really like jamming and I like doing a lot of different characters um, and telling a story. Um, but I think just selfishly playing because then you can just be one person the whole time. Um, and I don't know, it lets you just basically just be an actor, which I enjoy so what about that uh world building aspect you're still building it yeah with the gm you don't have as much control but you're still i don't know you're still building it by being in it so what does being a game master mean to you Mm. guiding collaborative storytelling i think rather than just being a storyteller What made you want to try it? You made me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Make sounds like I was twisting your arm. No, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So had you never thought about doing it before? I wanted to, but I was scared. Or not scared. I was um, trepidatious, I guess. Just because it was, I was new to uh, tabletop mm-hmm. in general. Like I hadn't even joined this world until recently. You know, if you think of, you know, the grand scheme of my life, I'm like years old and I, you know, quit law in 2015 and then was doing. Wait, law? You knew this, Zach. I did, but I'm trying to tell you're a trying good story. You're trying here. to tell a good story. I'm sorry. And I just <laughs> no butted you. Um, yeah. In 2015, I quit being a lawyer and then um, was kind of doing like voiceover and improv stuff um, and then didn't really start doing this until. I think you guys were the first place I ever did it at all. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know. You weren't, but you were like, it was like maybe the third place I'd ever done it. So. And all the tools that you've kind of pull from around your life. uh, I mean, do you see, or 
um, how those can kind of like enhance and allow you to do, you know, to sit in a game master chair after being very new to that world. Yeah. I mean, I think improv really helped because like every time you go on stage, you don't know what's going to happen. And every time you go on stage, it's kind of like the first time you're going on there because everything you've ever done before is gone. Nobody's going to know your references from before. Um, and also to kind of know, like, you're not going to die. Just try it. You know? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Um, and I think that was actually from, from quitting, (laughs) from quitting being a lawyer, which I was so, I mean, I was not comfortable. It was terrible. And I got, I was like hugely underpaid and abused and sexually harassed all the time. Um, but it was still very scary to leave. Right. Because I was like, oh, but this thing that I thought Hollywood, (laughs) I know here I come. Where women are respected. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, no, I mean, the thought that I had when I quit was what's going to happen? Am I going to die? No. I'll figure it out. And I think that's the thing is the, is the thought that you have to keep having is I'll figure it out or in, in a collaborative sense, we'll figure it out and it'll be fine and it'll be fun. Would you consider yourself somewhat of a um, problem solver? Yeah. No, my first instinct always to a negative um, aspect is like if someone's saying a problem, um, like, you know, just to vent to me, they have to say to me, I'm saying this just to vent. I don't need you to solve the problem because I want to get up and be like, well, okay, I'll just, um, I'll do this thing for you and I'll fix this for you and I'll do this and that and whatever. And they're like, okay, that was great. I just wanted you to be like, man, that sucks. And I'm like, okay, noted next time I will. But I always want to fix things for people or help them or that kind of thing, which is hard. Do you think that that aspect of problem solving, um, uh, transfers over to your performing and writing where that's is there an excitement there of every show every game session are just problems it's a, it's a bunch of micro problems that you have to solve at any given moment mm-hmm. it's the ultimate problem solver mm-hmm. position mm-hmm. yeah i for sure i think like um yeah it, you you see all these like untied cords and then you have to like connect them all um and i think um, that problem solving as like um, uh, aspect about me. Um, when I first started doing like improv or um, uh, tabletop, your m- my core instinct right was like I want to help, which would then cause me to like over to drive the scene or to um, kind of like you know make decisions for the other person. And then you kind of realize okay like let's peel back the action and figure out what the core desire is, which is to help. And how can that, um, how can I do that? Sometimes people just need time to like, you know, if you're in a scene with somebody and, and they're not talking for a while, the instinct, right. Is to be like, Oh, uh, and just talk and talk and talk and talk. Whereas like, that's not helping them. Even though you're like, I'm just trying to keep us both afloat. And instead you can be like, you can notice that they're not talking and attribute that to their, to their character and be like, you know, you've been really quiet ever since we got back from the doctor. And then they have something and you're still built. You're not negating the thing that they're doing. And I think that helps a lot with, um, um, tabletop too, which is like learning what is, um, helpful to a person in the situation that isn't you going in and solving it, but rather you like alley-ooping to them basically. Big fan of the alley oop and RPGs, <laughs> and I love watching it happen when those players all see each other and mm-hmm. their opportunity to do it for each other. 
and then it just kind of keeps, Mm -hmm. you know, growing. Well, it all boils down to also like, and I said this a lot, but um, like character game. So like game is being like that character's thing, right? So like if you are having trouble identifying it, and I hate to make such a dated reference, but like Frasier is a really good example of... No, please, please (laughs) give us all the Frasier references possible. How can we relate this entire podcast to Frasier storytelling techniques? But like, you know, like you know that each character has a thing, right? So you know that like, um, uh, that Frasier... um, uh, wants to be fancy, okay. right? And you know that Niles is, has a stick up his ass. Mm-hmm. And you know that um, the dad uh, just wants to have a good time. And then you you try to make that thing worse every time. Everything you do makes that thing aggravated. And you know that they're going to respond to that thing with their thing. You know that... Frazier's going to try and uplift it to be a fancy thing. And you know that Niles is going to be irritated. And you know, so you know, like, exactly how someone's going to react. So if you watch people and you watch, like, your, your castmates, and you're like, okay, I know that their character, either, if you want to go either way, this would be really, make my character really happy. This would make that character really angry. And you keep presenting situations where it makes that thing worse or better. You aggravate the Just thing. giving them something. Yes, and you know exactly, and ostensibly they know their character's game, if, if their character's fleshed out. They'll know exactly how they're going to respond. So while it's a surprise to the audience, it's not a surprise to you. Now, for the people listening, can you dive a little bit deeper into someone's game? Sure. Um, As uh, I feel very fortunate at times, we get mm-hmm. into our, our LA lingo, mm-hmm. I know. where everyone's taken improv. I myself have never taken an improv uh-huh. class, but I'm surrounded by everyone who has, yeah. so I know all of the terms. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's educate people a little bit. Well, so like, um, if you have a character that you basically can distill down um, their... And this is a very simplified way of looking at a character. Obviously, there's like a million other things happening with them and everybody's complex and blah, 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 blah. But um, uh, if, if a character is, um, they hate getting dirty, okay? They're prissy and they don't like to get dirty. If you can just, like, like they're a control freak who um, hates getting dirty. That's their thing. That's that character's thing. So then you can either make something you you can present things to them that's going to make that thing worse mm-hmm. and so you're always trying to make now this is for a comedy point of view but you always want to make everything worse and worse and worse and worse for that character based off of what you know about their character which is what they're presenting to you if that makes sense yeah no it does yeah we're all learning together <laughs> Going back to GMing, do you think it's okay for a GM to be dishonest or to fudge their roles for the sake of story? Or do you honor the chaos gods? I mean, to me, it's more fun to just roll with what you get. Because then you're like, oh, like, I know, and, and, I, and, and I am a personality type that enjoys not ever planning, not like, I know that there are some INTJs out there that are like, I need to have everything planned and I need to have every, like, I'm one of those people. Yeah. My fiance is that. And for some reason I'm like surrounded by those people and I think it like jives well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
my one of my best friends is that where it's like actually i will rephrase that i'm one of those people when it comes to the worlds i create when it comes to my life i think a lot of people around me would prefer if i took a little more control <laughs> and cared about those things so um i mean it, it it is very like so for me if i'm like all right i really want these characters to go in the woods they don't want to go in the woods. No, and if you let them know you want them to go they in the woods. They will not go in the woods. They will not go in the woods. They will not go in the woods. Fine. Um, then come up with something else off the top of your head. Granted, it is scary, and I get it. I get people are like, ooh, I don't want to like have to come up with a whole story. But you can find ways to take the things that you really cared about, like, oh, but I really want them to like encounter this boss or, you know, whatever. Find a way to get that boss somewhere else. They don't need to be in that cave that's over there. Like, just c- come up with a way to... So, so then the... the Not the full destination, but elements of the destination are still there. And then you've just gotten there a different way. And you've also respected what your players want to do. So I don't know. I think you should just roll with it. Roll with the roll. Yeah. If that, if If you really want to damage them to teach them a lesson but you roll a one i guess they get off scot-free and <laughs> have to find a different way to make them stop throwing themselves into danger huh but then they'll keep doing it yeah even more and then maybe they'll eventually eventually or they will, will be immortal <laughs> or, or that and you got to roll with it yeah how much time do you typically pre- spend preparing for a scenario that you're gming and it's okay for you to say zero if it's zero Mm, no, it was never zero. I would say, well, because the show that I jammed here was well, okay. I I, I jammed another. I jammed that over the garden wall RPG here, mm-hmm. um, and for that I probably prepped like I don't know, like an hour and a half. I just like came up with the basic story that I wanted, and of course it didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh just found ways to take the things that I liked from the original scenario that I had in mind to get those elements into the story we ended up telling. But was flexible with how we got there. I find that absolutely amazing. (laughs) Uh, From a standpoint of someone who um, has a certain brain type where I feel like I have to live in the world I'm about to tell a story in Mm -hmm. for hours and Mm. hours and hours and i will do so much prep i'm not beholden to my story turning out the way i want it to yeah i'm completely fine with the players going in direction they want but because i'm so nervous of them going any other direction i try to imagine every scenario possible uh growing up playing sports i was always told you know imagine the play before you make it yeah well then i sit there and go but in rpgs there's so many plays Oh, so you try and figure out every single way it could go. You know, what what way could it go? I have an answer for that. And I usually do that through generic world building and not so Mm -hmm. much moments Mm -hmm. or small moments and Mm -hmm. more based on, you know, uh, kind of like a sandbox game design uh, where you can take a general idea from here and no matter which direction they turn, you can still take that idea. Um, I don't have the confidence to sit at a table and GM something that I've only prepped an hour and a half for. Well, for a roguelike, I didn't prep at all. I didn't figure you did. <laughs> it's pretty obvious I didn't because we had different scenarios every time. Um, I, You know what, though? I think I learned that lesson really the hard way mm-hmm. um, with improv because I remember trying to choreograph what I would do 
and oh, it's obvious and it's not funny. And you come out with Exposition City and you're like, listen, I know we've been best friends for five years and this is your uh, night before your big wedding. But here's the thing. I'm feeling like you are really overlooking how much I've done for you in the past. And it's like, okay, well, you're going to let someone else fucking talk, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, or it falls flat and nobody laughs and it is a quiet, quiet room. And you have just talked for so long. Um, and I think that like you, those lessons you learn the hardest cause you're like, man, I know that feeling that I didn't trust anybody enough or myself enough to be okay if I didn't plan out everything. So now actually I prefer for most things to under prepare. Mm-hmm. I built, when I do a, a, um, a, like a, 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 a player spot on a show, um, I mean, I just, I do my character sheets in like 15 minutes. I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, okay, um, my character's name is like, okay, what kind of person do I want to be? This person, they probably have this name. Okay. And then if I'm this way, this is like something that would have happened in my life. Okay, done. And then done. I would say, honestly, when it comes to a player standpoint, I probably do the same. Yeah. It's uh, just, it's better to, I think, build it with your compatriots rather than by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hope it comes out in the moment. Yeah. Have you ever GM'd a home game outside of a show? For friends. No. Again, no judgment because neither have I. No. I know this is a show about game masters and uh, those listening might be surprised to hear that. But I'm very close to having 10,000 hours of game mastering. Never once have I GM'd for a group of people outside of uh, something that was for work. Um, I am what you are probably familiar with, which is a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, if I don't, it's, it's hard because if I don't work, it's actually more stressful for me. I hate going on vacation because I, all I do is think about how I'm not working. Yeah. And if I am really stressed out, it it makes me feel better to do work. I'm like, oh, well I'll just work on this thing. And then, and it's really funny because like my fiance will often be like, you need to rest. And I'm like, you don't understand. Rest sucks. And, and then if, and then I'll do it until I'm physically ill. And then I have to rest. And that's when I'm like, oh, but I have to rest because I'm sick. So that's okay. And then the second I get I'm better, through that right go now. back to work, as am I. <laughs> so you can probably <sighs> hear. Um, so yeah, really, no, I have not. I have not done home games because I'm like, but I could be working. Right. Yeah. I understand and relate completely. Uh, what are some unique NPCs? items and or game mechanics uh that has surprised and delighted you while gming <laughs> you don't have to say bacon by the way. <laughs> that's seriously it's the only thing that's like bouncing around in my skull um do you even remember where bacon boy yes, originally I do you do wow the exact moment i do enlighten me it was my life was forever changed um it was at the roguelike table um i believe it was matt acevedo uh, Brendan, my love. Mm-hmm. I I only remember them two because they were the ones involved with it. But so there was basically like, I forgot why. I'm sure chat like mentioned something about bacon and there being a monster. And then um, they were at a, no, that's what it was. They were at a bacon competition and um they mentioned some kind of monster and so i just made one out of um you know 
leftover bacon from the bacon competition became sentient. And uh, the whole reason why that I think stuck so much was because specifically I was making them roll for if they saw the bacon bacon boy and um matt had rolled that he one one of them had rolled that they had seen it and one had rolled that they hadn't so they were arguing a lot about you know if he was there and then i was trolling as bacon boy the person that couldn't see him Mm -hmm. and thus began the year long that's what it was yeah Someone had to look under the table and say, there's a monster under there. And the person that did that was Matt, but he didn't see the bacon boy. So it was like very weird. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. Yeah. It was doing that voice for a long time, like gave me a headache. I remember I was like, I don't know if I can do, keep yeah, doing this Yeah, people voice. would come into other shows. I'm sure that's very fun for everybody else. Yeah. And uh, people would say, you know, oh, bacon boy's here. And you have to do Bacon Boy, and other GMs are like, "No, yeah, no, I don't it, want to." It is physically taxing to be that character for yeah. sure. Are there any other NPCs or moments that you remember fondly of, like, "Oh, that was, that was a great creation," which I know is hard because you're a creature of improv, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I know that improv has a very like kill your darlings, or mm-hmm. it's like it happened and it's done. Yeah. We're moved on. You know what? Actually, a moment that I really, truly did love, and it ended up being like really sad, but funny. It was the end of Bacon Boy as far as my um, my experience with him, which was in the Over the Garden Wall. Um, they made Bacon Boy show up in that? They made Bacon Boy show up. Oh, my gosh. But they were, um, so they had gotten this lantern that, that held the soul of whatever, right? And so like the um, the big villain was basically... Um, linked to to whoever had the lantern. And so they had the lantern and they had to decide who to give the lantern to. And the table decided to give it to Bacon Boy, which was like forever dooming him to be, I think, trapped in the lantern or something. But it was like kind of a bittersweet end to this character, at least is from what I, um, in my experience with him. Um, I I don't know. I thought that was, he, he had been present through the whole time and it was just kind of this, moment where this character that had always ever been annoying and 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 just a pain in the ass to just end in that way um i i thought that was cool i thought that was really cool is there anything you won't accept at your table also known as a not at my table i don't need rape to happen i'm a survivor i don't need to experience that or to have a players at my table experience anything like that um I it's tricky because like I do think it's interesting to discuss like survivorship mm-hmm. um is there a way to discuss that without having the act play out in and of itself I don't think we need to have the act play out at the table mm-hmm. I just don't think so I also like being racist I'm like I don't I don't need I don't need any like I get that sometimes if you're playing an asshole, like if a character is an asshole, they might be racist, I guess. I think that the the tricky, um, it's the same thing of like when we see racism in like movies or books or whatever, we have to know that like the book or the movie knows that that character is bad. So if you can accurately show this character um, is the bad person, then fine. But... 
I don't need anybody that we're supposed to even want root for at all to be racist. I'm like, mm, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. You know? I'm not interested in that person's redemption story at this time when we have other stories we could be telling. So not at your table, no need for sexual violence, mm-hmm. no need for racism. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything, uh, th- those are, f- I think, at at the moment within the tabletop world, I think fairly common in agreement of like, yeah, we, we don't really need to explore that. Mm-hmm. Are there any smaller or more like minutia type things that you don't want your players to do or you want uh, to avoid going towards from a performance standpoint or a storytelling standpoint? Hmm. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know if I understand the question. Let's, I'll flip it to a more positive way. Okay. What would you like to encourage yeah. from your players? Oh, um, to be present and be listening Seriously, like I know it's a challenge because we all have that, right? Where we're like, oh, I want to say this thing. I want to do this thing. But at the same time, um, you really like what you say and do should differ depending on what just happened. So and and when that doesn't happen, it's really obvious um, because you can tell that that person's just waiting for a gap in silence to be like, I want to do this thing. Um, And it's like, oh, well, we're not even talking about that thing anymore. We're not even... You know, like no one's worried about that strange ball on the floor anymore. We're we're worried about this other thing. But I can tell that you have decided in your head that it would be really cool, though, this whole time that if your character played with the ball or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just like, listen, seriously, listen and and connect with people, because if you're thinking like your character, then you will you will have something to say. You will have something to think. And that's the thing, too, is think like your character. Okay. Was there ever a time that you felt like you failed as a game master? Um, I think the first time that I ever did it um, on um, on stream here, I think I, I was a little bit nervous to, like, shut people down and kind of be, like, a big bad bitch, um, which is strange because normally I don't have that problem. <laughs> it's usually the character we ask you to play. Yeah. Or even just, you know, like in my working relationships, a lot of times I'm like, you can't talk to me like that. You know, like you can't do that to me. And I think um, because it it was uh, the the um, I just was having trouble wrangling the players and kind of getting a word in because I was not asserting myself Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of just failing, I think. Um, so it's kind of like the opposite end of like being a, G- a GM that's too domineering. I was like, oh, like, I don't know, like, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Like, and that kind of is just how I always am when I first start a new thing is like, I just don't want to step on people's toes um, or steamroll anybody. But sometimes you got to control mm-hmm. if, if, if people are, you know, and, and it's not that that first episode was bad or anything. Like it was still really fun. Just in my mind, I was like, Kelly, you should be. You know, you should be talking right now. Why aren't you talking? And I wasn't enough. And I think I was just nervous and but it happens. I'm alive. I'm here. <laughs> Survived. Yeah, you got through it. Learned. <laughs> yeah. Did you go back and watch? This is a debate we have often here. Um, 
are you a person who rewatches their performance and gives yourself notes or do you take the notes in the moment and move on? Well, I don't usually have different notes between watching and doing. Um, I like to um, watch myself like for an acting purpose. Like I want to see what I look like when I'm doing something because like, what if like, oh, you're doing like a thing with your eyebrows all the time. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice I was doing that. It's like, yeah, well, when you're like, or, um, you know, when you're, I, I don't know, I've, I've like watched back auditions or watched back um, performances like that. Um, but usually I already know that I like messed up that part because a big problem that I have if I'm fully in it, I don't have this problem. But for just acting and not like character work, but just like acting, mm-hmm. um, I have a tendency to be monitor, self-monitoring myself. And then if I notice that I'm in it, fully in it, I will still have that moment where I'm like, you're in it. And then I'm like, shit, now I'm out of it because I'm noticing that I'm in it. And what I'd like to get to is you're in it, move on, keep going, rather than make a judgment. You just note it adjust behavior rather than note it, make judgment because then that messes you up. Um, so you, I, I have rewatched back stuff, um, but it's usually stuff I already know. And like, so like I, watching that particular um, episode, I think I purposely didn't watch it because I was like, I already know that I, I already know what things, because it's usually just then uh, it makes you want to kick yourself for me if I already know the things I messed up on. But sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised by my mm-hmm. performance. I'm like, no, oh, you know, that was actually... Like, I rewatched Post Ghost, and I was like, oh. Like, I felt like I, there, there were moments where I was kind of, like, monitoring myself while I was in it, and then I was like, oh, you can't notice it. Yeah. So that was, like, helpful, I think. Great. So let's move on to the tips section. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who just decided to move from a player to a game master? Just do it. I think just jump into it. Think of a story that you want to tell. And you don't have to, like, if you, like, for your first time doing it, it doesn't have to be the most amazing story that ever occurred ever in the history of stories. Because there isn't one. Um, And so just getting it out there and getting the reps in I think is helpful because then you certain things become routine and certain things um you just don't think about them as much so that way it's amazing to me how that and no matter what you do seriously always what happens but the things you worry about the first time you do it and then weeks later when you think back to like I can't believe I was worrying about that thing I know that's like an auto response yeah an auto thing you don't even think about and you just it it's funny because like it's um I jumped back into uh on camera acting um recently and I was like a little bit um rusty like the first couple um times and then um I remember having that moment of thinking in my head like and I was happy that I had that moment of like "Mm, I mean I won't even be thinking about these things and you know once I just do it more and that's truly the thing is like just do it a bunch like just keep doing it and um you can always stop if it's not for you no one's gonna make you keep going you can always not do it anymore um yeah just do it do you like using props and storytelling and if so 
how would you recommend others using them to enhance? Mm. I personally don't use props. Mostly because um, if I know that I have to get to, um, that I have to, that I have to use that prop, mm-hmm. then I'm like, nah. Well, now I feel freaked out that I have to use this prop. But it's similar to like blocking, I guess. So it's not too bad. I I personally haven't used them. Um, so I don't really have, I, I, I mime things. I don't know. <laughs> All the stupid, do stupid, yeah, stupid improv like object work. Um, so yeah, mostly just object work. Are there any improv classes or things out there like that that you would recommend to people who are looking to get into, um, role playing, GMing, Mm. uh, that you think would be valuable tools? Yeah, like literally any improv class. UCB is always good if you're in the LA or New York area. Um, Second City is good. Um, they're in Chicago and LA, and um, just and that's the same thing. Man, just starting out though in improv, like that is oh humiliating. It is humil. Just know that you will feel humiliated. Everyone's awful. Everyone's awful. There's gonna be like one person in your class that's like. There's always, no matter what, in any improv class, there's, like, one person that, like, makes everyone else feel terrible and uncomfortable. It's going to happen. Um, and it you're going to look stupid. And it's going to, you're going to make moves that you're going to be like, God, that was so stupid. And literally, no one will be thinking about it. Except they're all they're, worried about themselves. They're all worried about themselves. Um, so, it, it, I don't know. If you go in with an open mind and you're like, hey, like, I, I want to have some fun and I want to, um, if, if it's all about learning... And that's great. Um, so, yeah, any of those places I think are good. UCB stands for Upright Citizens Brigade, if you're not familiar. Um, yeah. And I would say every city I've been to uh, and lived in outside of the major ones also have improv programs. Seriously, anywhere. Yeah. Just do it. Like, honestly, it, it helps. It really helps. It helps you just think on your feet and feel less nervous about performing because often it can feel like performing even if you're at a table at home right i assume i don't know i've never jammed in (laughs) obsession (laughs) um but yeah what are some useful products software books uh that you think are valuable tools as a storyteller because you're not just you're not just a person who's jammed. Mm. You know, you're a writer, you're an yeah. improviser, you're a host. You know, uh, you're a storyteller. What what do you think are some tools that you use in your everyday storyteller life? Um, I really suggest um, r- reading um, or consuming things that you admire. Do it and don't. Um, yeah, you don't like rip it off, but also don't worry about like, well, I can't do this because like they did that in like this other thing. And it's like, okay, so what? They don't know who you are, so don't worry about it. You know, like who cares? Um, there are also like uh, some books that are helpful. Save the Cat is helpful mm. um, for just like writing. Um, and also just remember, I, I think it's like important to like remember that everyone should be a full person and that sometimes like the villain is somebody that will break your heart the most. Um, I've never really been a fan of this is evil and this person's good and that's it. Me neither. Um, And so I think just, 
I don't know, empathy, like truly, truly empathy helps with writing for sure. Um, I, I came into empathy pretty late. I, I was like 20. Go on. I think we have literally had this exact conversation because I think I said that and you said go on. (laughs) Um, Because it's a fascinating statement to say that you came into empathy late. I want to know what that means and I want to know how. My parents didn't teach it to me, I don't think. Um, And they um, taught me sympathy and they taught me pity, but they didn't teach me empathy. So I didn't truly understand... um, um, that p- other people had uh, completely full lives just like I did. Um, and I, I actually, I used to have, um, uh, you know, problems or trouble with, um, I was obsessed with getting male attention, particularly in my, um, uh, in my teens and early 20s. Um, and also just, you know, attracted to shiny and new people and so I would like kind of not hang out with I'd get bored of my friends in favor of new friends and all that and just kind of like act I needed to be the most in a room probably because of many reasons um you know one of them being that I was never enough for my parents and blah 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 and all this therapy blah 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 whatever but it was you know I needed to be the most in a room always all the time I needed everybody I met to be in love with me and um, A, I was way worse at doing that than I thought I was. I think the thing that you, um, that you discover that's one of the most embarrassing moments is that people are polite. And so I wasn't really making everybody fall in love with me. They were just nice and polite and didn't call me out. And so I, that moment you're just like, oh, so many people thought I was full of shit, but I thought I was killing it everywhere. So basically I lost all my friends and had no friends for like a year, literally no friends for like a year. And I was what like, a valuable Man. lesson. It, huge lesson, which I was like, dang, it's not the world that just doesn't get me. Like, I'm just too amazing for everybody to get. It's that I'm so obnoxious that literally nobody has stood by my side. And all I have to blame is myself. It's me. It's not the world. It's me. Um, so then when I learned that lesson, I think that I was like 20, mm, probably 23 or 24 when I truly started understanding empathy and also the thing too of like I would like flirt with these guys and like you know outrageously flirt with them just to get the feeling of like I want this guy to like me even though I have no intention I'm not attracted to him I have no intention of being with him and just for that addictive feeling of being wanted and then um you know then I was like oh that's a person you're ruining somebody's life yeah um, so I don't know. That's, sorry to kind of get a little. No, that's exactly. I'd, I'd, these are the things I like to talk about. I think they're all valid and uh, valuable tools for storytelling uh, to bring into your stories and to understand and be able to think about those things and how you can explore them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're playing a fantasy role playing game, how do you explore this concept of empathy? Yeah, and that some people have to learn it and not everyone um, comes to understanding it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it might need to be taught based on someone's home life and how they grew up and, mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I think those things are really interesting to explore. And it's one of my favorite things about um, role-playing games mm-hmm. is it's role-playing. Yeah. It's role-playing. You're, you know, you're, you're literally getting to act out, 
concepts and ideas that might be hard for a group of friends to sit around and talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, you don't want to just sit around as a group and talk about some of these really heavy topics, but you wrap it in a story. Mm -hmm. You have a better opportunity to learn more about each other and the world. Yeah. Through that experience. I think something that's really helpful too, um, with like learning that stuff through role playing and also through acting and all that stuff. It it was something that, um, an acting teacher told me, um, that, (sighs) cut me through my core uh he was like oh you are obsessed with needing to look good and needing to look in control you need to be okay with looking bad like you need to be okay with that and that I think has helped in being a player being a GM being everything in your whole life you need to be okay with looking bad sometimes um and even in exploring those kind of like tricky things through role play you need to be okay with sometimes okay not looking bad. Yeah, and, and, and fail. Failure totally. is a part of the human experience. Yeah. yeah. So much so. And it's such an easy thing to say and such a hard thing to live. But it's, I mean, I fail all the time now. I don't care. <laughs> I think within role playing, one of my favorite things is exploring failure. Yeah. Uh, very clearly, I choose systems that are very hard to succeed in. You do. I tell stories that are hard <laughs> to succeed in. Um, but I often have to explain to my players that it's okay not to win. I know you want to win or you want to yeah. succeed a yeah. role, um, but failure's exciting. Failure's fun. We learn the most from it in I, storytelling. Truly, truly, like there have been moments where when I was playing 10 Candles and I remember rolling terribly and like, I remember like looking to you and being like, I can't wait to see what he's going to say. <laughs> like that feeling where like, of course you're in character and you're like, no, what's going to happen? But like, I just like where you're just like, mm, I'm excited to see how, how this person, yeah. how he's going to do this. Yeah. Big, big fan of failure. Yeah. Um, I want to throw it to the audience now. Mm. Uh, I know hopefully the mods have gathered some questions. If you have questions in the chat, post them. The mods can collect them, put them in our discord, but I do have a couple from Twitter that we'll start with. Okay, great. Uh, this one from Steven Zakulek. How do you get into the headspace of corporate mouthpiece so effectively? um that person's a character i um you just kind of think about like well first i've been there i've been the person that is representing a an evil evil company um and you just kind of but even if it's something you've never ever experienced you can imagine it right and it's like once you're like okay i'm this person that that works with thing what what's true about me and then you just kind of live it you're like you 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 build all these other like a history and like other things like you I know how Mrs. Wu uh, or Ms. Wu would um, feel about uh, like a drip coffee you know like anything anything right she doesn't Go, like drip coffee oh gosh she Go doesn't on. she she drinks flat whites only flat whites only yeah but that stuff right where you Hold like on, you you live <laughs> you like live in that thing right where you're just like oh I know what they would think about traffic I know what they would think about um you know I know what their favorite food is and it's just you just pick something and then that kind of builds the full character so they're all people that's the thing they're, it's a shitty person but it's a person it's still shitty but that's a person yeah it's yeah. still a person debatable debatable <laughs> debatable <laughs> yeah only you know that backstory uh <clears throat> What <laughs> what or who are Kelly's biggest inspirations? 
Um, one of my favorite performers ever is Amy Sedaris. I think she's, oh, oh, I mean, everything about her. I, I love that she has found, like, you know, you know how many people have been like, you're too weird. But she's like, I don't care. I'm going to do my weird ass, like, home cooking show. Give me show. a show. <laughs> I'm I gonna love rock that. It. Strangers with Candy, all that stuff. I'm like, that, where people that have carved out kind of like, no, people that have never thought to themselves, I want to be the next so-and-so. And you can tell they've never thought that because they are so aggressively themselves. Um, I love David Lynch. Uh, a similar type of person who's like, mm, I'm going to make the thing I want to make and I don't really need your notes, <laughs> which I I like. But again, that can be dangerous. It's, I, I argue with myself on this. Mm-hmm. All the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments with the cast of Kolok was the for the season two cast. I took them to a cabin, and I was like, "We're gonna watch Blue Velvet," because uh, it's one of my favorite I movies. Love Blue Velvet so much. And uh, remembering afterwards, um, Shelby and Lucas um, and uh, Abria having fairly positive but okay experiences yeah. with that and uh matt sohinky just flat out be like i hate this i hate this so much why mm-hmm. did we watch this mm-hmm. this is a waste of mm-hmm. our time and energy and then later uh mika said because they had to ride back together that they talked about it for hours on the way home and i was like it worked it worked it worked, it worked. <laughs> that's the thing though i mean some of my closest like some of my closest uh friends and collaborative partners my Teen Creeps co-host Lindsay does not like David Lynch at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's just, you know, I don't know. Ah, I really do love that movie. They're releasing like new footage from it or something. Did you hear this? No, no, no. I just heard this. It might be like fake, you know, fake Facebook <sighs> shit. I heard yeah. about it on a podcast and that person admitted it might be fake. Okay. But I was like, oh man. And it was on the way here too. I was like, oh my God, I got to tell Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I hope it's extra Dennis Hopper scenes. Ah, baby. <laughs> Those were the parts especially that really, oh, really? really upset. So I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I find the worlds that he's exploring mm-hmm. very honest. Yeah, me too. And I think that's what I like about them. Uh, and again, for better or worse. Yeah, I I do think that I'm a bigger fan of when he has oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it hones in things a little bit and makes mm-hmm. it more watchable. Mm-hmm. You know, I can sit down and watch uh, Inland Empire once, and then afterwards I'm like, yeah, ah, I don't really need yeah. to watch it again. But oh, Blue but Velvet, I'll watch over and Eraserhead. Very unique, but that it's you know, so funny. Also, though, like as a person who's newly married and wants to have a family someday, yeah. That movie can really get to you, you know, yeah. like it's it's just a a very disturbed individual not being able to come to terms. Can you imagine? Being, He's just like, I don't want to be a dad. Can you imagine being his son as an adult now and watching no, that film? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, oh, my God. I mean, I don't know. I have my parents, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But um, I, I often find what I like about them is the absurdity and that there's so much honesty and absurdity. Totally. I think that real life is weird. Real mm-hmm. life is messy mm-hmm. and it's strange. And that often we try to put real life in this box of what we think it should be. It's Instagram mm-hmm. version. Mm-hmm. 
And I think Lynch movies are very much the, they're almost more real than not. Even if you are seeing things in a very heightened psychological way, uh, you know, Frank as a character in Blue Velvet Mm -hmm. and putting the lipstick on and the woman dancing on the car, Mm -hmm. that is one of the most real scenes I've seen in a movie Mm -hmm. because it's only weird enough to exist in real life. You know, it's it's so, that is how weird reality is. Well, and... Also, I mentioned at the top of this that I like stuff that gives that is a feeling. He is able to create to to portray visually a feeling because you feel it when you see it. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's a, it's it's emotional storytelling. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily plot storytelling. Mm-mm, yeah, you're, you're I'm, I kind of emotional. am not really interested in like plot, 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 plot. I can't speak too much on where my interests lie for all the people who think that Kolok has a point. <laughs> <laughs> so I should just not dive too deep into my thoughts yourself, on that. Protect speak. myself there. <laughs> <clears throat> and how I feel about, uh, but, I, but I do prefer emotional based storytelling and getting yeah. to like the root of a thought and the root of an idea. Um, I did just, I actually just rewatched Lost Highway two days ago mm. and it, I, I go through so many phases with those movies and because they're emotional based, my emotional state has a lot to do with how I'm going to feel about those yeah, at the time. For sure. And, and now I'm like, eh, I'm not really into this one as much mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be when I was younger, probably one of my favorite, mm-hmm. but now not so much, mm-hmm. but the newest season of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. first time I watched it, didn't like it at all. Do you know I haven't second seen and it yet? Second and third viewing, I'm now like one of my favorite Lynch things. <sighs> I haven't seen it yet. I can't believe it. It's such a like hole in my media consumption it's crazy there's a lot there to unpack that i'm excited to unpack with you when you get Great. there so let me see if we have any more questions here you've played characters with the names from slop scrum to carmella pace can you tell <laughs> us about your character naming process <laughs> this is gonna be pretty disappointing it lasts about 0.5 seconds i just think of like sounds and um I'm just like, I, I think as that character for a little bit and then just think of a name that sounds like that. So Slops Crumb was a um, very sexually adventurous, disgusting, uh, I think it was Dragon, I don't remember what race she was, but just like, you know, this like gross character that was like mired in like disgustingness but then also was like I don't like sexual um and I was like oh what does that sound like to me and I was like I was like oh she's sloppy and I was like slop slops slops scrum that's it Carmela Pace I was like like oh like I was just thinking about like a person that would be very like I don't hi pleasure to meet you and then I just kind of I don't know, thought about a name that would sound like that it's truly like and sometimes I'll pick a name first and then I'll build the character so it's a very short process. It's not very exciting. I don't do very much research at all. Moss Brethren wants to know what your process is like getting into character for an RPG. Just thinking as the character for like five seconds and then doing it. I'm sorry. I wish it was like, I am like method and I'm like walking around being that character. Um, I usually just like think as that person. And then I, u- I don't usually talk first. I usually listen to something that someone's saying to me. And then my first thought as that person, then I'm like, now I've built the character. Because then you're just there. And then you're like, okay, that. And then you can also spend time, like I said, with the coffee thing. Like, you can think about anything, you know? Like, 
tape. You know, how, what does that person think about that? About that type of tape? Carmela would think, Carmela would think it's classy because it's, um, it's not like that unsightly blue painter's tape. Where Slop Scrum would say, not fun enough. Yeah, so for the record, Sorry. gaff tape. This tape. <laughs> gaff tape, classy. Classy. Well, because look, it goes with everything. Good to know. See, it's easy. Like you just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> Gaiaco wants to know when you play such over the top nefarious characters, how do you keep yourself from laughing? Uh, I feel a lot. I I do bust up a little bit sometimes. Um. Sometimes I'm like so in the character, I don't realize what I'm doing is funny. And then someone will say later like oh that was funny when your character said that I'm like oh that just felt like something she'd say and so like to me it's not even like I'm trying to go for a joke or anything I'm just like being that person um yeah it is hard for me though because I did have that one on um on post ghost I flubbed I didn't meet I don't know what I was very tired and on the brink of being sick so when I said like I said um it's a me and I meant to just say it's me that I did start, but I was like, oh man, that was like some Mario shit. I don't know what happened. Um, but usually, I don't know. Sometimes I break and I'll usually classic, I'll clap my hand over my mouth usually. And I don't know why I do it. I, it's like me being like, shut up. Um, but it's a very obvious tell. I Justin Cross wants to know, has your experience in the legal field slash law school given you skills to help you as a player or GM? Uh... No, I don't know. Maybe um, lo- the things that law school and um, being an attorney taught me were like how to work really hard. And so I guess like um, my workaholic tendencies kind of came out of that. Um, Did you take a bar exam? Did you get that? Yeah, I, I passed the bar oh. and I practiced for two years. Wow. Yeah. Um, it also taught, I mean... It's very humbling. I was not a very good lawyer. So I mean that. I was like, oh, I know what it feels. I guess it taught me to take more risks. Because I knew what it felt like to be doing something that I absolutely hated and felt no, uh, felt no, uh, uh, what's it called? Might as, well Fulfillment. Take, might as well take a risk and yeah. fail and at least know that you did something you wanted to. Yeah. Then just live with. I didn't want to wake up and be 60 and be like, wow, I never tried. What made you decide to get into law? Was that uh, just feeling like it's what you had to do? Yeah. My parents said you had to be a lawyer or a doctor. I tried pre-med. I was partying so hard in college um, because my parents were so, so strict um, when I was in high school. um, That like so strict that I remember being at a Ralph's at 4 p.m. It's not crazy in college and being like, man... I'm allowed to do this. I have a very similar backstory. So, yeah, I was, um, I, my first couple of years of college, I was a blackout. I don't. I went the exact opposite direction. Really? Of having such a strict upbringing that when I got that freedom, it was, uh, I became an authoritative figure and it was like the person running the dorms and really? things like that. Cause I, I could had such see a you doing that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, doggy. I was, I was all over. I, like, was like, I still to this day have never been drunk in my life. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was great for, you know, trying to feel free, which is what I was. But I mean, I also. Were you though? No. I mean, I was blacked out all the time and like binge drank too much. So. (laughs) 
um, yeah, it, we kind of, I don't like to drink too much now because, um, I don't know, there's something, I think I probably did some permanent damage to my like liver or something in college. Oof. Ouch. Cause I, yeah, blacked out a lot. Um, but I th- couldn't be a doctor because I was like, dang, I can't, I don't want to go to class. I was like, what am I not behind in political science? Cool. Do that. F- fixed my GPA. And then I was and my parents were like, so you're going to be a lawyer. And I was like, guess so. And that's why I did it. Okay. Well, <laughs> on that note, we have our final question from oh Hector Navarro. God. No, stop it. Why is Austin Powers international man of mystery? Your absolute favorite movie. <laughs> Of all time. Why are you giving him this power? <laughs> I said I was going to field questions. So. <laughs> so you're not a fan of the film? No, I'm not. This all. I would just assume the way that Hector kept coming to the chat yeah, and no, telling me to ask it, that it was say. actually your favorite movie. No, it is not. Um, wow, I didn't see that coming. Are you serious? You didn't think. You thought that I loved Austin Powers? No, not a chance. <laughs> Oh man, I mean, it was, it it all started because I think I was like just saying that, and this will, I mean, this is, I don't know when this is going to actually come out on El Rey Nation because it started on the set of El Rey Nation. Um, You guys will be able to see them trolling me a lot about that on future episodes, but in between takes, we were talking about um, Austin Powers and um, I was like, I just, I just, I'm not interested. I just, I think it's, he's gross. I don't like it. And then it turned into that's Kelly's favorite mm. movie. Um, so they they basically acted like a Twitch chat with you, like a bunch of trolls in the Twitch chat. But it's like people at my work. Mm. <laughs> and then they all went to a movie night the other night, and I couldn't go. And they send me this video. They're like, "Oh, Kelly, we missed you." And I'm like, "Oh, they made this video." And they're like, "There's some Kong Skull Island left." And they turned the camera, and I was like, "Oh no." And they turn it to the TV and it's Austin Powers. And I was like, I like the emotional roller coaster that I went on. I was like, oh, my friends are sending me like a nice little thing to like, this is betrayal. This is ultimate betrayal. And it's also like it, I, I felt like, okay, if this is like, love it, this is hate it. I was like here. And then because of it, I'm now like here mm. because it's it, validated your hate and en- enhanced it it's made it it's worse. seriously truly because then it's like mm-hmm. it's bringing it i had spent so much of my life not thinking about austin powers it's like when you haven't <laughs> done you haven't listened to an album or you haven't seen yes. a movie and people are like no you have to and i'm like the more you tell me i have to i don't want to i'm not gonna do it yeah i have that personality type 100 percent. i could see that you like to be contrarian sometimes usually it's to troll and to just yeah. to frustrate the other individual who cares about something that i think it's silly to care about i love um I love when someone is like so worked up and so angry at you and you're just like, dude, I'm just living my life. Like my existence, not watching this thing is giving you so much ire and that's power. Yeah. That's power. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll be like, yeah, I'll probably check it out. It's no. Yeah. Movie. And then I'm like, I'm not going to talk to them about it though. <laughs> and then if I like it, I'm like, oh, in the no, back of my head, good. I'm like, I love that movie. I know. <laughs> and then they're like, did you check it out? And I'm like, hmm. What? No. no. Oh no. I don't like trash. No, I don't. I don't like trash. <clears throat> well, thank you so much. Kelly Nugent for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, make sure everyone who might be watching to follow Kelly on social media, mm-hmm. uh, all of the accounts, all of them. Check out Teen Creeps Pod. Mm-hmm. That's coming out how how often? Weekly, every Weekly. Wednesday. 
Uh, we read, um, we usually read like YA um, pulp fiction from the 80s and 90s, like Fear Street and Christopher Pike and Point Horror and all that. But this month we are doing uh, movies from like our childhood. Um, so we just did Casper. Um, and then coming out, um, we did uh, Fear. Have you seen this movie? The, the Mark, movie The Fear. Mark Wahlberg um Reese Witherspoon movie? No. Mm. Those two together Y'all, sound like a... It is a mess. It's yeah. messy. Uh, and then Scream uh, with Oscar Montoya. Um, and so you can check that out on Anywhere. Teen Creeps. Um, it comes out Wednesdays. Uh, I am at Kelly Nugy on everything. Um, watch El Rey Nation. Right now, I think it's Thursday nights. Uh, 10.30 Eastern. And Post Ghost on it. Tuesday night. Post Ghost on Tuesday night. It's RPG. so much fun. It's so Did you have fun? fun. I loved it. Great. It was really fun. I've been your host, uh, Zach Lynn Eubank. Forge a path. Expect to get lost. Thank you all for listening to Game Masters. <laughs>